uh, in the next couple of months or so. Thank you guys so much. AJ, I love you. Thank you guys. Clarence Harry, you guys you. are awesome. Thank you guys. And uh, Resistance Radio is coming right up next. All right, 102.3, that was Help is a Human Right. It was such a pleasure to have you guys on. Coming up next is Resistance Radio, 102.3 WHIV is the only community radio station in the city dedicated to human rights and social justice. All of our hosts, I'll be in touch with you. I'm going to call you later on tonight. All of our hosts and DJs are volunteers, and we're, we are able to provide quality programming with your support. So please consider becoming a member of WHIV by setting up monthly donations of any amount that you wish. We'll take it. And all of that money that you donate to WHIV will not only help us out significantly, but it is all uh, it is all um, tax deductible as well. So consider becoming a member. That could be $1, $5, $10 per month. Whatever you can do to help, a one-time donation to the station also helps. We have a new line of T-shirts and tank tops just in time for the spring. So they also make great gifts. So simply go to whivfm.org, click the store, and donate. Uh, thank you for supporting WHIV. We are not a radio station. We are not a radio God, you can tell I'm trying to get through this. I'm trying to impress Kenny with my uh, auditory skills, but Kenny just put on his headphones, and they're all <laughs> goofy. I'll, I'll fix them for you in a second. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with a radio station and all wars. Resistance Radio starts now. When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. George Bush doesn't care about black people. They have a Black History Month, but we don't have a White History Month. Well, all we've ever been taught is white history. If it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right-wing, ultra-conservative, alt-right haters, they would have me believe I'm too black, I'm too confrontational, I'm too tough, and I'm too disrespectful of them. But now, I know I'm simply a strong black woman. We're in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be about. 
What is bad is not what they are doing. What would be bad is for us not to fight back. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIVLP. You're listening to Resistance Radio. We are proudly streaming live on 1230 AM WBOK. Thank you to everyone at WBOK for making that stream possible. What's up, DZ? And... Uh, my name is Mark Gallandari, and that was the ever uh, elegant, uh, handsome, and very, very dapper today Thank in you. his purple. Uh, lavender, yeah. actually. La- lavender purple. <laughs> lavender. It's lavender. <laughs> uh, can I tell you like a quick like 15-second story? Sure. I think I, I, I didn't realize I was somewhat colorblind. Did I, did I ever tell you this story? No. So I was... Did you I, go so out of the I, house wearing blue no, pants and black no, 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 no. I had to create this HIV video, right? It was a video. It was a teaching video. And in the video, I was like, okay, well, the orange cell is approaching the green cell and then the yellow receptor or whatever. And the first time we were showing it to a group of people to get their feedback on it, they stopped the video and they're like, what color is that? I'm like, well, that's that's orange. Like, that's not orange, dude. That's brown. <laughs> <laughs> I literally was like, I'm like, what color is that? They're like, that's not yellow. That's like, that's orange or something. And I literally stepped Yikes. off the, f- got out of that meeting, called Leon, and I apologized to her for all the times that she was like, hand me the red towel. And I handed her something like, <laughs> <laughs> I realized that's I was somewhat funny. colorblind. I had, I went through 47 years of my life without ever realizing that. But, so, uh, I mean, what I took out of that story is that you are always wrong and your wife is always ah! wrong. That's, that's, what I, that's what I gathered Hold on. Okay, from right. that story. One more. All right. One more. I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll put this out into the world. Uh, and if she's listening, she knows where I'm going with this. I, I recognize that my wife has something that she uh, benefits from, something that I like to refer to now as wife privilege. What is that? Wife privilege. That's like happy wife, happy life. Uh. Wife privilege, but it's a pun. It's a joke. <laughs> Loser. You know what? I basketball fans, but in, in honor of um, so two things. Basketball. Yeah, I'm gonna make it. It's gonna make sense. It's gonna make more sense than the reference you just made. Um, in honor of two, feel better already. In honor of two basketball things happening today. One, um, anyone who knows me knows that I like hate college basketball because it's like a, what? It's really? I hate it because it's like. Okay. It's um, it's like a sore site. Like they're so bad. It's such a poor quality basketball. Really? Yeah, I'm like a rabid basketball fan, and watching college basketball is just like them making mistakes okay. for 40 minutes and missing everything. In the games I and like 42 soccer. to 45. Um, I'm a huge NBA fan, but tonight mm-hmm. I will be watching college basketball because the school that I went to, University of Virginia, is playing in a national championship. Um, is so, this like the, down to like the? This is it. This is the final. Oh, two. this is the this final. Is, it's them versus Texas Tech for the national championship. Oh, so, so this, is be, a, this is a big deal. So, right so after, as soon as you're done so right here, after the show, I'm going to be going <laughs> to a bar to watch it. Right. Um, the other thing that's happening basketball wise is the NBA playoffs start this weekend. But all this reminds me of what you just said is that every time you make a corny joke like that, I wish we had a laugh track of the Kawhi Leonard laugh. If anyone who watches basketball knows what I'm talking about, um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to briefly explain it at some point. Mark Allen will find it. We'll put it up. Where Kawhi Leonard is a famously um, understated is a nice way to say it. Um, awkward is another way to say it. Player who like gives really really boring interviews all the time, and his introductory interview for his new team, the Toronto Raptors, this year, they, they like asked him about himself, and he was like, "Well, I'm a fun guy," and he like uncorks this like creepy robotic laugh that the internet went crazy. What was with. this guy's name? Kawhi Leonard. He's called Kawhi. K A W H I. And if you find it and play the laugh, people will know. And we need to have this as a laugh track for every time you make a bad joke. Just like play the Kawhi Leonard laugh because it's so bad. 
Um, it sounds like a person who has never heard a laugh before imitating what a laugh sounds like. Well, I think when when you make a bad joke. <laughs> oh, you got crickets. Look at you. That's cute. Every time Kenny makes a joke. Uh, <laughs> but All right. So, whoops. That's that. Let me see. Uh, every time I make a joke. Wait, oh, hang on. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ka- Kawhi Leonard. Let's see what he's. Uh, let's see what this is here. What would you like people to know about you? I'm a fun guy. Uh, obviously, I love the game of basketball. Um, I mean, it's just more question you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs> that laugh, what is that? What just happened every time? It's so funny. And, of course, like, you know, as, like, quick with it as an internet is there's like a million memes about that um anyway let's get started um excited this week to talk about uh we're gonna nerd out on another topic we're sticking with housing um last week we had um lydia a friend of mine lydia winker on from rent check if you haven't listened to that episode go back and listen to it it's a good one um also check out rent check i think it's gonna be very very helpful for a lot of people i'm really really proud of lydia um for what her and her business partner put together um and how they're helping folks um, today we're going to be sticking on housing. Today we're going to be doing the promise deep dive into the inclusionary into inclusionary zoning, uh, which our city council recently passed an ordinance about, and we're going to get into that. I want to start this show, though, however, by talking – I want to repeat the Malcolm X quote that's at the top of our show because I want folks to keep that in mind as we talk about this. The full text of the Malcolm X quote, of which we only play a snippet of in our, in, in our um, intro, is – we must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers, profit motors and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. And Martin Luther King said that over 50 years ago. And I think anybody who's paying attention to the way the world has gone since then, we have not heeded that call. We have not heeded that warning. And in New Orleans... When we start talking about things like housing, we have definitely not heeded that warning. Well, I mean, or society as a as a whole. I mean, I, I don't mean to shift the conversation a little yeah. bit, but I mean, look at the seven hundred fifty billion dollar increase. I think the, or total military budget now, yeah. and the the Democrats' response was, "Oh, well, we'll give you seven hundred thirty six. Like there was no real rebuttal. Mm-hmm. I mean, all we're doing is we're just bloating. And meanwhile, poverty in America <laughs> is were is the second worst. Of any developed nation. Say that, say that again. Poverty in America compared to the rest of the world is the second as at the second worst rate of any developed nation. Meanwhile, we have a higher GDP than any of them, any of the other countries. We're the highest by a large margin. But to the point, what are we spending our money on? Right. Um, but let's not get too much on a tangent there. I want to jump into can, um, our conversation about inclusionary zoning. Can I just also yeah. just say, cause I think it's relevant and I, and I, I'll just dip my toe into that quick conversation and that it really has a lot to do with what we were just talking about in the previous show on, on no matters, which is that it's deeply rooted in white supremacy. Absolutely. And it's deeply rooted in the, the um, inability of white supremacy or the white supremacy culture that we live in to shift power because by, by, by scaring everybody and shifting money into a military, of course, well, that's going to make the politicians rich because they're going to get money 
that's going to their donors and that money's going to ultimately shift back into the politicians' pockets. But what you're also doing is you're shifting resources away from jobs, you know, transportation, jobs, green, green new deal jobs. I mean like, Which is and also things. medicine and health and entrepreneurship and things that actually make a vibrant society that's, that's rooted in social justice. And if, um, just to highlight that, I think a concrete example I can give folks is if you're a movie fan, go see the movie vice about Dick Cheney and about how a very, I think one of the, of the many things that that movie does very well I think one of the things it does extremely well is show a pretty straight line of how he orchestrated the invasion of Iraq to make Halliburton Yeah, I mean, that's billions one of, of the dollars. most understated. And then when his time was up, he was like, okay, bye. I'm going to go take my golden parachute from Halliburton. Let, I haven't seen the movie, and I should see the movie, but just to like this is just something that I think is not talked about enough. Remember, uh, 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 Dick Cheney was working for – he was the CEO of Halliburton. He got booted out of, uh, of, uh, of uh, federal politics. He, uh, of course, he was a state – he was a uh, representative House of Congress person from the state of not Wyoming yeah I think it was yeah it was uh, anyway uh, he um, he became the CEO of Halliburton Halliburton was doing terrible under his watch right and then uh, uh, George Bush came to him and said will you help me find a vice president Right, because Dick Cheney goes back, you know, to the Nixon era. So George, Bush, uh, so Dick Cheney's like, yeah, he puts together a list of people, uh, interviews them, sees that they're, you know, it basically goes back to George Bush and says, I can do the job, and then took the job, of course, as as uh, vice president to orchestrate. Well, I don't, I don't want to like, give away too much of the movie, but if you paid attention to the Bush presidency at all, what actually happened is that Dick Cheney looked around and was like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> And we, I mean, there's, there, like, that's, that's what happened. He, like, looked around and he was like, this guy's an idiot. I will be vice president, air quotes, and I'm just going to run the country and do whatever I want. Hold on. Just, okay, I don't want to get off my tangent. All right. But look at, look at the Republican presidents, right? Idiot. Trump. Before him. Bush. Bush. Yeah. Be, before him, Daddy Bush. Mm-hmm. Before him, Reagan. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's just, it was, it's one. Puppet after another. That's exactly what I was going to say. Go. And Dick Cheney's been a puppet master for most of them. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah you're so right. So now let's get to inclusionary zoning before we Yay. get too far off the tangent. All right. So you've heard us use this word before. Um, if you've a longtime listener of the show, we did a brief show on this last year when the state legislature was talking about it. Let's and let's. Uh, I'll get back to that in a second. But I first want to start by with just what is a definition of inclusionary zoning on a simple level. So what inclusionary zoning is, is an affordable housing tool that links the production of affordable housing to the production of market rate housing. Um, And so the way that it works is that inclusionary zoning policies either require or encourage through incentives new residential developments to make a certain percentage of the housing units affordable to low income or moderate income or median income residents. Um, It was first developed in the 1970s as a response to redlining and exclusionary zoning um, that was along racist lines. Um, So I want to pause there to explain the history there. So as we talked about a few episodes ago when we did the Undesigned the Red Line episode with the folks from the Small Center, shout out to them and the amazing exhibit they put together. Something that happened at both a federal state at, at a federal state and local level all across this country was this process of redlining, where essentially there were these lines drawn in the way that zoning was done and the way that housing was allocated and the way that funding was allocated by governments 
which essentially said, here's where the white people can live in these like highly desirable areas that are going to accrue wealth and capital. And here's where the brown people can live in these crappy areas. And we're going to put freeways through their neighborhoods and et cetera, all the awful things that we know happened with redlining. So something that happened in the 70s was someone – this idea came up of inclusionary zoning where the idea was to force – um, to force or coerce or incentivize, whichever one of those you want to take, um, developers to develop affordable housing in what they saw as desirable areas so that folks weren't getting completely pushed away. It was um, – the original idea of it was to help desegregate because what you had was you had rich white folks living in like densely populated areas – of where capital and resources and access supermarkets to, to and green space and parks and, and you had poor brown folks living in all the undesirable areas that didn't have those things railroad tracks um, exactly desert food deserts and so the idea was like build them next to each other build them as part of each other there's a, a, a lot of different ways we're going to get into some of the different ways that folks do that um but that's the idea of it. Can, yeah. And can yeah. I ask you, so in a lot of things with planning, um, things always sound like a good idea on mm-hmm. paper. And I, and I actually don't know the answer to this, so I'm actually mm-hmm. honestly we'll asking there. I'm you. I'm sure we'll get there. Right. About to ask. It, it, was it a good idea and does it work? Let's get there. Okay. Let's, I, I want to go through it because like, that's part of the discussion I want to have with you. Okay. I do, before we get deeper into um, inclusionary zoning itself in terms of like a definition, I want to explain um, sort of when I say that what affordable housing looks like, this is what it means. So what they do either through a requirement or through incentives for private developers is that typically what happens is that let's say you are a developer who wants to build a new property. And let's say for argument's sake, you're going to build a hundred unit apartment complex in the French quarter. Let's say, let's say you wanted to do that. What inclusionary zoning does, depending on how it's implemented, is it says, okay, developer, either through a requirement that we have passed as a local government or through an incentive like, say, a tax break to you, the developer, we're going to say that you have to make a certain percentage of these units in that building you're building um, affordable housing. And so most the standard is usually like 10 to 12 percent. So you... if there's 100 units in the building you're building, 10, 10 of them have to be affordable housing, which would be below the market rate. And so a, a phrase you see a lot when you hear this conversation about inclusionary zoning is BMR, which means below market rate. And there's a lot of different ways that folks define what the affordable housing looks like. But typically, the actual price of the uh, below market rate units are determined by the area median income of whatever area you're talking about. Um, and typically the, that is tied to what the federal poverty level is in terms of who qualifies for that. And then when we get to the portion of the show where we're going to talk about what we're specifically implementing here in New Orleans, I will get to those details. But that's sort of the broad strokes. So the broad strokes is you build a a a unit, you have to build a certain percentage of units that are affordable housing that folks that are median or lower income could afford. And you know the obvious reality here is that the developer is losing money on those units because a below market rate unit obviously would cost more to make than they're going to make back in the rent. And that's why I want us to stick with that MLK quote about what are we valuing? Are we valuing that developer's profits or are we devaluing the fact that in order to be successful and 
um, contributing members of our society, people need a damn home. Right. And, and, and they need a home that has access right. to transportation, that has access to good education, that has access to food that is healthy. Right. But you, can I, yep. and, 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 you know, and I, Obviously, I you know I, I selected that quote purposely because I knew that would be a theme of, of of things that you and I discuss, and and I know the answer to it. I know that you know the answer to it is that the way that you keep societies and populations under the thumb of a ruling class is that you do put the priority of capitalist needs over the priority of Absolutely. populations and and. I'm going to jump a little bit ahead. And so to I, like, I don't mean to like some, to, to some of the crit- your point. Yeah, I, I want to jump a little ahead to some of the you know criticisms of inclusionary zoning. Is you can imagine what the developers are saying? They're basically well, saying that it's like, but what about my profits? Right. I might choose to stop doing business here because I'm not making enough money. Um, you had a good. Uh, I like the face in the. And it's but, it's. <laughs> but before we get too much to the criticism, the simplest way to describe what inclusionary zoning is, it's. A way through the way to it's a way to incentivize the building of affordable housing to increase the amount of affordable housing available in a city through f- forcing through, through the market. Through I mean, forcing, it's not doing either, it out of their either, good or their will. Through either through the forcing market. or incentivizing right. private industry right. to do so. And there's a lot of different schools of thought about whether having it just be like straight up requirement you have to do this if you want to get the permits or incentivize through tax breaks or other ways is a better way to go about it. In different cities have taken better different... as per outcomes. Of yeah, what? better in terms of like outcomes of what actually happens. Right, and um, there's a lot of arguments about that on both sides about which way is a more effective way right. to implement it. And to talk about the pros of it, the pros of it is obviously that affordable housing will be getting built in what you know we view as highly desirable areas in which they n- normally wouldn't be, and so thus increasing the access for folks that are lower income to that housing and access to the, the resources and the life that is available when you have that. I, I don't think it takes a PhD in urban planning to understand that somebody who lives in the CBD with the CBD's central location, access to transportation, access to things like grocery stores, Food, ac- right. closeness to jobs in the city center right. is very different than a life that you live leaving out in mm-hmm. Mishu, where like, I actually don't think there is a connected public transit system that could get you from Mishu all the way to the CBD. Like I think at some point you need to get a ride. Right. I'm pretty sure that you, you couldn't do the whole trip. Right. Currently in New Orleans. It's funny because we were, I was talking to Leon about that and, and without getting ahead of ourselves and talking about what next week's going to sound like. And we definitely need to announce what next week's going to sound like, but that's referred to as the last mile, yeah. which is that, that whole idea of how cities that focus on transportation, they tend to do very good at getting outside folks, let's say inside, mm-hmm. but then getting to that last mile oftentimes is And we'll get to that. And so I right. think that's one of the things that we don't talk enough about in affordable yes, housing yes, is that yes. access to public transportation right. and easy transportation and free transportation is a big part of how you deal with housing bubbles right. because there's less of a need to live in the city center if you can actually get there right. from wherever you're living. So let me just, I mean, let me kind of just kind of pick your brain real quickly before we continue down um, this uh, deep dive. And that is when you look at the inclusionary zoning and, and, and some of the kind of the perks or incentives, as, as you mentioned. So I live in the CBD. 
you know, I, I, I live in, uh, I live in, in a building that had long since gone condo, but all these new buildings are flipping up all around us. And, and, uh, and, and, in a large majority of them, they tend to, uh, uh, do like a five year program with where the, uh, the housing or the, the rent is somewhat subsidized. Mm-hmm. And I think you would refer to it as maybe like a mixed, uh, mixed income, mixed income, uh, and so what we what and it's great. I love it because what we see are very diverse faces all through downtown. Uh, but the, that after five years, and I think we've talked about you it several times, right? Yeah. So those, does that and those does that sun- even help? I mean, and those sunset provisions it are are developers' ways of trying to like skirt. This yes, conversation, yes, yes. So because it's, like the, it's not a housing solution. Temporary it, housing right. is not a housing so, solution. So I mean, so to explain the cannery. The cannery. So uh, you mean the can? The can. So I think one of the best examples we have of this in New Orleans is the American Can did exactly exactly that. It was in when it was developed, and the deal that they made with the city that it was going to be a quote mixed income building where they were going to have some units in the building that were affordably priced for lower to median income residents of the city. However, there was a sunset provision that that was only for 15 years. Right. So promptly, when 15 years was up, they (laughs) evicted those people and then they raised the rent to market price. Right. That's not a house. That's That's not a solution. Right. And so. And, 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 And I would argue. They got tax breaks and other incentives yes. for doing that. Right. That's not worth what we're giving up in the revenue as right. a city to give you that if it's not a if it's just a simply a temporary housing solution. I don't think you should get a tax break if you have a sunset provision in the affordable housing. That's, so then there would be no incentive for somebody to do it unless that, that was what the the city said, okay, if you're gonna build on this space, we definitely need twenty percent of these units so, to be So let's let's get to that. So like the criticisms are a couple. I mean, one of them is nakedly capitalistic. One of them is I'm not going to make enough money on the investment that I'm building in this building if I have to do below market rate prices for X amount of units. And folks are unhappy with how many, and they say like, you know, it's going to do, it's going to make business drive away from the city. People are not going to develop here, which by the way, I want to like stop here before we continue on this line of thought. The idea that developers are going to stop developing in New Orleans right, right, right. because they're required to build some affordable housing units right. is absurd. No, it's That's a, absurd. It's, it's just a bad That's absurd. It's the same. It's the same thing as Steve Perry and the the tourism board folks saying that if we raise the hotel tax or if we or if New Orleans actually gets a fair share, people are going to stop coming to New Orleans. No, they are not. We are a city of Roughly 405,000 people that attracts 20 million visitors per year that generates an annual in- revenue as a city of almost a billion dollars. It is amazing what the culture bearers of this city is a true testament to the to the destination that this city is, to the attraction that this city is, and to our culture, our people, everything that is essentially New Orleans attracts to the city of those stats given the like relatively low population. So this idea that people are all going to say, oh, New Orleans is too expensive to do business and go away, I don't buy it. it I simply don't buy it. And the math, I find it funny that their whole thing is the math doesn't work if we do this. The math doesn't work in your end. The math doesn't work <laughs> on your side. This idea that all of a sudden the developers are going to say no more building in New Orleans because they had to build some affordable housing units is BS. Pure and simple. Like, it, it doesn't. It doesn't square. 
and and just to to kind of underscore Kenny's point because it's such an important one. And last night we were having dinner with some folks, and and I and I mentioned this stat, and they were completely blown away. Right, New York City gets a hundred percent of their tourism dollars. Uh, San Francisco gets seventy five percent of their tourism dollars. How much do we make a year in tourism dollars? A billion dollars. Do you know how much New Orleans gets back? Ten percent of well, that. And as I always imagine, it's actually technically eleven point two, but. Hang on a second. <laughs> You're going to get the crickets for me? Hang on. On the Kawhi laugh. Um, <laughs> so another another criticism of the idea of inclusionary zoning is that a lot of folks, specifically developers and some economists, say that it has the inverse effect uh, in terms of it can raise the price of rents because it would decrease the supply of available housing at market rate, essentially saying by artificially restricting the market, you're going to drive up prices, thus making housing more unaffordable. And again, I'm gonna. This is another point where I'm going to stop here, and I'm going to come back to the Emily quote about what are we valuing, people or profits? Because that is under an assumption that we, as a city and as a society, should place the value of how much money the market is generating for in terms of profits for the folks that are building these things or should we value people having access to affordable housing? Because like, yes, it is true unequivocally that inclusionary zoning will lead to less profits for the developers in that community. That's true. That's a fact. Should we care about that more than we care about people having access to affordable housing? No. No. The math works. uh, If the math doesn't work in your favor. uh, And there lies the the problem with unfettered capitalism, right? Right. The problem with unfettered capitalism is that it's based upon this idea that the ability to make however much money you can make should matter more than the human impact, which is, when you think about it that way, is an absurd idea. It's like, I don't care of if people course. die, but I need to make that 10 extra dollars Dude, on every the, unit. It's like it's like the uh, um, the character in uh, in Wall Street, right? Yeah. G- Gordon, whoever, whatever, greed is oh, good, yeah. Yeah. right? I mean, Gordon that's- Gecko. Gordon Gecko is greed is good. I mean, that is that mm-hmm. is the quintessential American experience. Um, I think two other things. Um, there's two other things in terms of criticism of it. There is um, a pushback by some advocates for affordable housing that say that inclusionary zoning is just a band aid that doesn't adequately address the housing needs, which I think is a fair criticism. That's kind of what I However, was wondering. But it, it's you know, I think the good pushback against that is well, it's one part. Right, I don't think anyone is arguing that inclusionary zoning is a silver bullet, and I think the quote that came out of city council was Jason Williams said it. It's not a silver bullet, but it's a bullet in the chamber. It's part. It's part of the arsenal. It's a strategy that will increase the access to affordable housing. It's not the answer. It's definitely not the answer because the answer includes better education, higher wages, health care, better transportation, and other things that aren't just purely building more homes. Jobs, jobs, like jobs. that's that's so like. Yeah, no, it's not the answer, but it's one of a strategy. It's a strategy that can help us get to a more equitable place. So um, me- I think the third thing that I want to point out is there is something – I think there's some pretty bad examples of the types of behaviors that developers over time in different cities have tried to get out of things like this. I think one of the more disgusting examples I have to bring up because this is something I actually remember myself from my time for when I grew up living in New York – is this has been a thing in New York for a while? Inclusionary zoning. There's an ordinance in New York in different parts of the city, different boroughs, and it's, it's been a part of the conversation around housing in New York for a while. New in New Orleans, but it's 
like it's, it's been around for 40 years in parts other parts of the country. Something that's a real thing that happened is they built what became known as poor doors in these apartments. Have you ever heard this phrase before? So essentially you would have this like nice apartment on the Upper West Side, this apartment building, right? That was because inclusionary zoning required to have a certain amount of units that were affordable housing. They would literally create a side door that was oh, like in yeah, the back. You, you've told me about this before. In which the people right. who were in the affordable housing units had to right. enter there, not where the rich people were going in. But <laughs> Type like disgusting behavior like that. If you're tuning in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIVLP. This is Resistance Radio. Um, my name is Mark Allendary. That's Kenny Francis. We are proudly streaming live on 1230 AM WBOK. If you're tuned in on 1230 AM WBOK, welcome to Resistance Radio. Kenny, the, the whole reason why we're actually talking about this is that city council passed a uh, kind of an abbreviated version of a inclusionary zoning. Uh, yeah, and and that was a response to the governor. Well, so. let me let me get there. Got just it, one okay. thing, one more point I want to make before we get to the specific local context is before we get into specifically what's happening here in New Orleans, I want to make one more point about sort of the broader conversation about inclusionary zoning and housing in the country in general. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, if this has been around since the seventies, what have ha- what has happened in other cities? What are the effects? So a study that was done um, it was a longitudinal study, and it was done and it included looking at the effect of policies that were enacted in L.A., New York, D.C., and Chicago. In a broad sense, what it found was that, like I said at the top, revenue was lost for developers, and developers were not happy about that. Um, it did lead to some dip in housing production, that some that there was a, a slowing of the development of new properties in those cities. However, it did show that on average that affordable housing was doubled in those cities. And so less housing was getting built, but more affordable housing was getting built. And so, again, part of the solution, not the silver bullet, that's a positive return there on the investment of that policy. And because what I'm seeing there is I'm seeing private developers not making as much money as they want to. I see more affordable housing getting built and the market taking a slight quote unquote hit. But I also see people being put first. And again, continuing to go back to the MLK quote. What do we care about? Are we caring about, are we people-driven or are we profits-driven? It's only a bad idea if it's profits-driven and you're saying that, I, that we should be valuing profits over people no matter what, which you know, I think anyone who listens to this show knows that the two of us inherently disagree with. Right. So and- let's get to the local context. So here's the local context. So the local context is this has been a conversation for a while. Last year in the state legislature, developers with their Republican GOP friends – brought forth a bill that was going to outlaw the ability for a locality for local parishes to implement inclusionary zoning ordinances like New Orleans just did. John Bill Edwards, our Democratic governor, which, again, I know he's not the best Democrat and he's not as progressive as he want to be. This is why it's important that we make sure this man is reelected and a Democrat stays in the governor's house because he can do things like veto. He vetoed the inclusion, the, the ban on inclusionary zoning last year. And said, I'm not going to allow this to happen. I believe that, the, that the, the parishes should have this power. He also went further and he specifically called out New Orleans and Baton Rouge and said, hey, I basically did this just for you so that you would have this, this tool in your arsenal to combat affordable housing crises. Why have you not come up with an inclusionary zoning ordinance yet before you get preempted by the state? And he basically put out a challenge and said, look, if the GOP puts another bill on my desk that they get through the state legislature that – places a ban on implementing inclusionary zoning, I'm not going to put the political capital in to fighting it again and vetoing it. And so that basically gave us a year. We This time last year, we were put on notice. And said, so you have a year and to figure this out. And we talked about it here on this show. And a year ago, we talked about it on the show when that happened. 
And so that happened. And so when God, right, you finish your thought. I have a question for you after you're done. Well, I'm going to get into like what happened with the. So let me ask you this. So, and I think an important question to ask, which is an obvious one, but I think it's still important to ask. The developers wanted to destroy inclusionary zoning uh, and and laws that would that would force developers to uh, uh, to avoid essentially just there would be they would bypass or get rid of inclusionary zoning altogether, despite it being the the wimpiest of. Like the the littlest of band aids for uh, for for uh, affordable housing, they still wanted to get rid of it. What would happen if they did get rid of it? I mean, affordable housing would just be kind of impossible. It would be almost decimated. Kind of impossible, yeah. Because then I, they wouldn't have. There would be no incentive to build affordable housing at all. At all. Yeah. Going back to, there is no care. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the society. And the, and the crazy thing is that they they got that bill passed because. Um, when we first started having this conversation a few years ago, back when Mayor Cantrell was on the council, the number that the city planning commission came out with was the recommendation was that 12% of the city's units, renting units, should be set aside for affordable housing through some sort of ordinance. And the developers went nuts. They were like, 12%? No way. Yeah, to me, seems and really ridiculously and low. And that's how they. And that's how this that's all started. They, they organized. I, I did not they know spent that. Really? The, they, yeah, okay. that's that's how this I whole thing that, yeah. happened. Is that Maybe. a couple of years ago, the city planning commission did a did a study, and the study the study's recommendations was there's a lot of different ways that you could cut this. You know, you, could, you can cut this, but our recommendation is that we should set aside. 12% of the city's units for affordable housing. And the developers went nuts. Yeah. And they used every bit of their political power and money to get a bill through the legislature to, to outlaw the practice. And John Bill Edwards was like, no, I'm going to let the parishes do that. And so then basically we had a year to figure out what our version of it is going to look like. And I want I want to, now that we get to the, the local nuance context, I want to like first ground us in some numbers here. It is an unequivocal truth that we are in an affordable housing crisis in New Orleans. I think anybody who has been has looked for an apartment to live in any time in the last couple of years knows that, as rents have risen exponentially over the last few years. And if you look at it over a longer period of time, like 10 years, it's crazy. I've been here almost 10 years, and where rents have gone since I moved here is pretty insane, the inflation and the gentrification. And we're now at a point where the average cost of a one-bedroom apartment in New Orleans is $1,100 a month and rising. And the, and the, median, the median household income, that means, of course. that means for a family of two, is $36,000, which before tax is roughly $3,000 per month. That's not including the taxes you'll get taken out of your thing. So if you're doing math with me at home, you're, for a one-bedroom apartment for two people to share – who are making the median income, household income of New Orleans, half of your, more than half, because if you include tax, you're not getting that three grand a month. More than half of your salaries go to just rent, just rent. And the best practice, the standard is that you should not spend more than 30% of your monthly income on rent. And that's why so many people can't find a place to live right there. 
and also, and if they are living someplace that that uh, they can't afford, they're having to cut back on many other uh, uh, necessities. Healthy, I mean, this is one of the reasons why we have a health crisis in this country as well. Is that people's opportunities for food uh, are are somewhat limited, and they are obviously buying cheap and terrible food. Their their opportunities for exercise and that sort of stuff. So when people try to, when my colleagues try to blame patients for being obese or they snicker or laugh, I oftentimes point to them i'm saying it's it's you brother or sister it's you and it's the society that we've created collectively that yeah. has enabled that and so like you know that's a pretty dire situation particularly when you consider that wages have been stagnant in america since the 70s and the wages have been stagnant in new orleans for the last like 15 years and so it's a pretty dire situation where people's wages are not going up um the price of the cost of living particularly around rent increases every year it feels like it increases like every couple of months and the supply is going down, and th- and that's the problem that we're seeing, and th- and that's why we're having it's a crisis, it's a real crisis that we're having in the city that we need like real thoughtful planning, or we're gonna get to a place which we've said time and time again where the people that actually make New Orleans a city that twenty million people want to visit every year won't actually afford to live here. And they won't be here anymore. And yeah. then what do we have? Right. You know, in kind of cycling back to how we inadvertently started the show talking about Dick Cheney, that, I mean, after Katrina, that was a goal of, of, of Cheney was to, uh, you know, first Halliburton kind of was sent down here as well as Blackwater to help kind of rebuild uh, uh, New Orleans. But to a large degree uh, from there, obviously, this is when the charter schools and the privatization of schools started. But then after that, the it almost seemed like the privatization of everything in New Orleans became uh, in earnest uh, after that. And I think it was Dick Cheney that said, don't let a good disaster go to waste. So it's funny that you should mention disaster that. capitalism. And it's disaster capitalism. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people made a lot of money buying up stuff after Katrina. Right. I mean, this is why, I mean, you know, New Orleans was, you know, to a certain degree was kind of stagnant to a certain degree. You know, it almost seemed stuck in time. And that was part of the beauty and the charm of the city. And then, hmm, who was in charge of the country at that time? And what were the policies they were enacting? <laughs> and, oh, wait, isn't New Orleans a historically black city that has huh. always been more than 60% black? Hmm. I wonder if that contributed to the response time of our federal government. I, I wonder. Uh, at all. I wonder if that did. I, I'm still I I'll, wondering. I'll let you guys decide that at home. I'm trying to pull So coming, coming back to – so the governor last spring, basically it, he puts out this clarion call saying that you guys got to do something with this or I'm not going to keep fighting this battle if you're not going to do it yourself. And so last year the City Planning Commission was asked to consider – three things as they studied it. One option would require developers to add affordable units to new projects in certain neighborhoods. A second object would a second a second option would apply the mandate only to developers who are requesting a zoning change for their projects. And then a third option would offer developers incentives for building affordable housing, but not require them to do so. And remember incentives being things like a tax break. And so the city planning commission approved recommendations that they sent to the council in the in the winter that the council then eventually after much discussion and debate and editing approved in march and so here's what we ended up coming up with what we ended up coming up with is that for new or rehabilitated construction projects of 10 units or more it was concluded that developers in these neighborhoods the cbd and the french quarter 
could be reasonably expected to reserve one of every 10 unit for low income residents. So meaning that if you are building a new development that has 10 or more units in the French Quarter CVD, or if you are renovating a unit that has 10 or more units in the CVD or French Quarter, you must reserve at least 10% of those units for affordable housing. And low income by the ordinance is defined as people who earn no more than $30,000 a year or 60% below the area's median income. So remember, the median income is 36000 So 60% less than that is how you would qualify. Um, and so in the French Quarter and the CBD, um, new developments or renovations of units, of places that have 10 or more units have to set aside 10% of those units for affordable housing. Um, the second part of what we decided was that in other um, what they determined as high desired areas, which were the Bywater, the Lower Garden District, the Marigny, Mid-City, Uptown, and the Treme, developers for units of 10 or more that are either new buildings or renovations had to reserve one out of every 20 units or 5% for affordable housing. And that's and that's what our so the CBD and the French Quarter was ten percent, so just and, barely a whiff off of the twelve percent mm-hmm. that was recommended. And then Marigny, Bywater, Uptown, Treme, Mid City, Garden District, Lower Garden District was five percent. And do these sunset? There is no sunset provision currently. However, and this is part of why we're talking about this. Part of why we're talking about this is that this ordinance passed, but things that still need to be figured out. One, the council has to officially draw maps of where this applies and put them into the ordinance. And so even though and put them into the city code. And so even though this ordinance was passed saying those neighborhoods between now and the maps actually being drawn, you can imagine what the developers are trying to do. They're trying to get those neighborhoods taken off the list. And you can imagine what the advocates are trying to do. They're trying to get neighborhoods added to the list. Um, And so that fight is continuing. And for folks that care about this, get involved. Um, a good place to start would be the Jane Place Neighborhood uh, Sustainable Neighborhood Association or the Greater New Orleans Housing Fa- um, Coalition. The another thing that needs to happen. So the fact that they didn't add it does that mean that they could potentially get some some what seems like a reasonable uh, a bill uh, or law passed, but then later add a some you know kind of like well. You so, know, where so, you and I are so, sitting here so, going... So, so we'll get there in a second. So, um, another, Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, another step in a process that needs to happen is that the City Planning Commission has to hold a public hearing in which they need to decide what incentives to offer developers for their efforts for doing this inclusionary zoning. And that's one of the things that people need to pay attention to. What are the incentives that we're giving away? Right? And I'm just going to say this like flat out. There is us as a public, as a residents of New Orleans, as people who care about access to affordable housing and know how important that is for people to live happy, contributing um, member to be happy, contributing members of society. We cannot allow or abide by folks, as in developers, being given things like tax breaks while getting sunset provisions on these things. That cannot. That cannot happen. If we're going to give up tax breaks, if we're going to give up tax revenue to developers to incentivize them to do it, I understand that. Like, I'm not one of those people who thinks that like we're going to be able to force private industry to do whatever right. we want right. without any sort of incentive. Right. There's sticks like, in, there's, and, there's, there's carrots there's and stick sticks. There's carrots and there's right. time to use both. Right. And I understand the argument of using carrots. But the difference between using a carrot and the difference between giving them a filet mignon steak for free. 
It's a difference. It's a big difference. I agree. And giving giving tax breaks be, or whatever other incentive without with, while giving them sunset provisions were basically until people stop paying it because that's basically what a sunset right. provision is. A sunset provision is you're going to do this thing that's going to cost you some money while people are paying attention. And then five, ten years from now, when folks think this problem is solved, right? Of course, then you that, go and make all the, the money you can. And and it's still carrots and sticks. They get the carrot, and the society gets the stick. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. If you're tuned in, you're listening to Resistance Radio. This is one hundred two point three WHIV. That's Kenny Francis on Mark Allendary. There's two other things that the council still has to figure out. One other thing they have to figure out is there's a provision that says that developers can essentially pay to opt out of the requirements, and so they have to decide pay who. Like the city, they have to pay the city. There's like there's a, like a, there's a provision that says that so like, they put money to there's this. A, there's a threshold in which you can just like like most things in America, the rules don't apply <laughs> if you can just pay for it. Right. Welcome, Mark Allen, right. to capitalism. <laughs> of course, there's so, a provision that says this. No, 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 no. But there's that just means that they put a somebody had to think through a price tag on this. Oh yes, and that's part of what has to happen. Part right. of what has to happen is like right. a, price a price of tag of how much it costs for you to not do this. <laughs> right. Has like, to be decided. And how on. do you decide? Um, like, where's the so the city planning commission? They the um, the consultants that they hired to do a feasibility study that produced all of this work. They decided on two numbers. We for, need to have them on it. for rental units. They decided that the opt out fee for rental units for building a rental unit and opting out of that should be roughly three hundred thousand and per just a one time one time fee. Three hundred thousand. Oh, um, and the other number that they decided on was that the re- recommendation. So this wasn't none of this is decided. These are recommendations. The other recommendation was that for four cell units, the 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 opt out fee should be roughly three hundred sixty five thousand. So these are like tiny, like compared these, to compared to the profits. Yeah, com- these are not at all numbers that I would have. Listen, I, if I were a capitalist and this is the way, like, and I was an industrialist like this, I'd be like three hundred thousand, and I, yeah. uh, I, I don't have to. Yeah. I, I can make more money on that. Yeah. three hundred thousand. The units aren't even going for that right now. The, but like, in five years, I'll give they you, will. I'll, well, the thing is, I'll give I'll give you um I'll give you an example of this. So I lived in the Marini until. A little bit over a year ago, when I moved into the corner, a place next to me in the Marini, one of my neighbors was boasting about this. Um, this guy bought that unit in the Marini five years ago for something like three hundred fifty k. He had it on the market and was like having people like getting in a bidding war with him for six hundred k. And so we're talking about this man is going to double his investment that he made five years ago. Whenever he eventually sold it, I'm sure he sold it by now. What to your point? In terms of like the pro- yeah, if you're talking about a developer, a company like let's say Kupperman Companies, right. which if you're paying attention to the CBD at all, what are you seeing everywhere? You're seeing new developments with the name Kupperman Companies slapped all over it. They're they're uh, a developer in town that's buying up property and things are going up like this right. every five seconds, and they're a national company with plenty of revenue. Right, they, think, they can hold on to a unit you think, for a while. You think three hundred sixty-five thousand? Is a lot for them to opt out of the affordable was housing requirement. Was there any pushback on that number? Is that I mean, well, so the number hasn't been decided. That's the thing I want to remind folks. I want folks to pay attention to this. Like, you can still do something about this. There's, this was a recommended number by the consultants so what, hired to so figure what this are out. The, what are open provisions right now? Whether so think, or not the so things that still need to be decided sunset? is that one one. What are the incentives that are going to be offered to developers to do this? So that could be everything from tax breaks. 
to like density breaks, like things like um, or things like sunset provisions. And I think the one thing that folks, like I said, should not stand for at all is nobody what's be- should what's get best practice. What are con- cities around the country that are are able to address affordable housing? Most people do tax breaks with no sunset, of, no, no sunset. Provisions. And what's the tax break look like? What are we looking at? Like <sighs> it's complicated. It's like it's it's that's like I mean, a whole other conversation. We, I mean, we can do we, a deep dive on that. Yeah, we should have yeah. the folks. We should yeah. see if we can get these guys on to do a deep dive on that yeah. because understanding that. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, yeah, I think is super. That, that's, that's another. That's another level of like granular, granular on this. Got it. Got it. Of okay. like getting into weeds of like what are the tax breaks actually? Because it look it depends on your state tax code. It depends on your corporate. Ta- like it, it depends on a lot of things, um, and also your, your lo- the way that you collect your taxes locally. But the general thing is that typically what cities do is you get a tax break or there's some sort of bre- you get a break on some other co- part of the um, the zoning code. To offset so. the the money you're going to be losing, so they, they do things like they like get rid of density caps, right? A lot of cities have density caps, so you can only build a certain amount of units. So some cities, one of the the incentives they give folks is like, well, you don't have to do the density cap if you build this affordable housing, right? Right. Well, but just to say real quickly, it's funny that you would just say, and and you said it just kind of offhandedly, but I just want to kind of go back to it. You just said that cities offer these incentives for the money that you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. It, the, 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 yeah. You're, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah the, the guy's going to, somebody's going to lose, but people are going to live somewhere, yeah. right? No, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But it like, was offhandedly, yeah. and I know you didn't mean it. No, 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 I know. And like, <laughs> but and it's that so is, inter- intertwined yeah. in our brain that that's... That's okay to say something like that yeah. because this is a capitalist society, yeah. and and it drives me crazy. There's a word for that that I'm ubiquitous. The ubiquitous it's, nature of capitalism It is the ubiquitous. Yeah, it's also what people refer to as the invisible hand of capitalism yes. as well. Um, and so another, so the the things that need to decide need still to be decided that folks should like pay attention and be involved in is one, they still need to decide what the incentives are going to be for the developers, and there's a there's to be public hearings about that. So here's a chance to show up. Make your voice be heard. Say something. And be part of it. Right. A second thing that needs to be decided, which is still such an absurd idea, is what the fee is going to be for you to not follow the rules that we're passing. That, that, that has, that's a thing that we have to decide. Hold on. Is jail time involved in any nope. of that? <laughs> Definitely not going to be on the table. Is, is not being able to do business with the city or getting a contract yeah. or building in the future? But part that's of- the thing that we've decided. <laughs> that like how much, how much can you pay to not have the rules apply to you? That's, that's a second thing that needs to be decided. A third thing that needs to be decided is that the council must officially draw and approve maps that say these rules apply in these neighborhoods, despite them being described in the ordinance. In the ordinance, the actual maps have to be drawn and approved by the council, and that's another opportunity for folks to be like, "Well, let's include the Lower Ninth Ward and Saint Rock because gentrification hasn't just gentrification is over in a Bywater, Mar- Bywater Marini, and Treme. It's the Seventh Ward, New Orleans, Saint Rock, and, and Lower Ninth Ward, <laughs> right. like that, like." That's the next frontier of where folks are getting um, pushed out of. And then the last thing that has to be decided is enforcement. What is like the enforcement going to be? Um, is there going to be an agency created? Is there going to be penalties, et cetera, et cetera? And so those three things still need to be decided by the council in order for this to actually be implemented and take effect. So essentially what was essentially passed, and this is why in the beginning when I said that they essentially passed in a, a kind of a vague inclusionary zoning Law, it was really, or it was referred to an ordinance. ordinance I suppose yeah. it's an ordinance. So, well, they, it's technically an amendment ordinance to the city zoning. Um, was it city the city zoning like charter? That's what it is. That's technically what it is. Here, instead of going to a laugh, I'm going to go to this. First of all, 
George Bush doesn't care about <laughs> black people. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that uh, clarification. Uh, the uh, this ordinance that was passed was essentially a placeholder so that the uh, so that the governor doesn't uh, is able. So if the GOP try so to push through, in the they can be preempted. Okay, thank yeah. you. So now is this one of those things again? And I'm going back and I'm cycling back to something I, I alluded to a minute ago. Is it, are they just putting this on the table? City council is putting this on the table, and then they're going to kind of like maybe address it later when nobody's looking, and then they're going to start putting all no, these I, goodies I think, in I, there. No, or, I, th- I, th- I think that the mayor's, think on- I think the mayor's office and the city council are are honest on, actors are, are here, genuinely and, trying to pass this. I think it's I think, but no, 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 they're trying to pass it. I'm not saying that yeah. they're not trying to pass it, but. It's it's the devils in the details. Oh yeah, for sure. So it, of course, I mean, it's New Orleans. Of course, we're like we'll figure it out later. Like, have you have you? How long have you lived here? How long have you lived here? A long of course, time. like of of course, we're like we'll figure it out later. No, no, no. But I mean, like, no, no. I'm asking Kenny Francis. What yeah. do you think? Your I like, think what I, is your gut? Are you? Th- is it just like let's table it? Let's put something on the books. The governor sees that we're actually doing something. Well, let's th- table I th- it. Or I, I think that this is important enough, and this is complicated enough, and this is like nuanced enough that thought a thoughtful, like okay. longitudinal process right, of like enough. what is the best way to go about this? Because like it is true that if you de incentivize development too much then we're screwed on the other end of this if there's too much stick right and it's also you can still screw yourself if there's too much care and so there is a there is a there's sweet, a sweet spot, spot right. of incentives and requirements that will help that will be part of the solution for building more affordable housing that that, that you know that actually helps people and that's not quick work it, so I, I I actually applaud them for like taking their time. It's just like, of course, we passed something that was like, we'll figure it out later. Right. But to, to their credit, also, let's just say that it's it takes a long time to come up with one of these. The 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 city council had an election midway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was energy yeah. was happening. I mean, yeah. there's a yeah. lot. Airbnb. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, go ahead. I do want to get to, because I see we're running out of time. I do want to get to a couple of things. Cause I have a couple of personal recommendations after like doing a bunch of nerdy research on this. I think if folks are looking for talking points, for things that they can actually do. So one of the things I said that still needs to be decided is what the actual maps are going to sh- gonna be drawn of where these requirements are going to be implemented. Something that I think folks should um, fight for is to the point that you made, gentrification isn't just happening in the Treme, Bywater, et cetera. It's happening all of New Orleans. And if we don't do something about it in an earnest way, all of New Orleans is going to be completely gentrified within the next like five to 10 years. And so I would say extending that 5% requirement to the whole city, forget about just the the areas outside of the quarter to CBD where it's 10%, the whole city, if you're building a new development that's over 10 rent, 10 units or renovating one, there's a, there's a 5% affordable housing um, requirement. Make that the whole city, not just specific neighborhoods because the whole city is getting gentrified. A second thing that I would recommend folks is when they start talking about these incentives, do not stand for any sunset provisions of any kind. Full stop. Has any of the city councilors uh, made any? No, no. I mean, but okay. like that's that's exactly what the developers going to do. They they're going to well, want sunset. They're going to want a five year or ten year provision well, where it's like it stops. The, and here's the difference between the developers and us. They actually have the money that they can put into campaign coffers and. We just stand in front of them for three hours and and stay our, and state our our minds. 
So we're out of time, and so I really, really quickly want to alert folks to two activism opportunities happening in the city. One directly related to what we're talking about. This coming Thursday, April 11th, 6 p.m. at 2533 Columbus Street, the Jane Place Neighborhood Sustainability Initiative is having another renter's rights assembly that they had they first started last week. Um, you can go and talk about all these things that we just talked about. The second thing I want to point out is that the organization that I'm part of and help run, Indivisible New Orleans, we're having a general meeting this coming Sunday, um, April 14th, right here at WHIV, uh, 4 p.m. with WHIV is at 2762 Orleans Avenue. Of the many things that we're going to be talking about on Sunday at 4 p.m., we're going to be having folks from the Louisiana, Louisiana Budget Project coming to give us an, uh, um, a preview of the bills to pay attention to in the legislative session that's happening this April. That's this Sunday, for, um, April 14th at 4 p.m. here at WHIV for the Indivisible New Orleans this General Meeting. podcast will be up. Podcast will be up tomorrow and next week on spotify next week um, oh and don't, can't forget next week next week we're gonna have movement mondays at the ace hotel our guest is going to be bike easy to be taught to talk about accessibility of transportation and for the song for today um i don't have a reason um uh, for why i'm playing this song other than i'm the last person in the world to just discover khalid and i really like this song that's that's why we're playing it this is 102.3 whiv mega music mondays coming up next uh this is resistance radio thank you all for listening